UX Podcast Episode 167. This is UX Podcast. I'm James Royal Lawson. And I'm Pat Axbom. Balancing business, technology and people every other Friday from Stockholm, Sweden. With listeners in 171 countries around the world, from the Netherlands to Nepal. And today we have for you a link show, uh, which is when we surprise each other with articles from our digital travels, James. (laughs) (laughs) That's surprising. Uh, Across the web. We have three articles for you today. Uh, and we discuss these uh, for approximately 10 minutes each. They are questions to ask as a new designer on the team. Very useful. By Jason Cashdollar. And he's Cashdollar, but without the vowels on Twitter. So, Cashdollar. <laughs> <laughs> and then we've got um, As a User Needs to Stop by Janet Taylor. Who's Janet K. Taylor on Twitter. And then we end with The Customer Delight Playbook by Sujan Patel who is Sujan Patel on Twitter. These people who have their actual names on Twitter. Mm. <laughs> Overrated. So, first up today, questions to ask as a new designer on the team by um, Jason Cashdollar. Now, Jason works at Facebook. He recently switched teams um, to work with Facebook Lite from another team in Facebook. Um, and he says... I did what many of us tend to do when we start on a problem-solving exercise as a designer. I went back to my desk and dove in. Dove in is what he wrote, but he he dived in. Uh, I I read through UX research research reports, tested other apps, and eventually put together a very very solid proposal. Or so I thought. So then basically he crashed. He says in the article how he kind of crashed and burned and and, uh, this lovely uh, prototype or design um, suggestion he came up with um, just really didn't go down with the rest of the team. They kind of were just like, what, you've wasted your time doing this? Um, And he found that his his initial designs had had violated what he thinks are three or says are three fundamental commandments of doing work as a new designer on a team. And he goes on to list these three um, fundamentals um, that you should build on the team's knowledge from previous projects, um, that you should have um, a strong hypothesis, hypothesis um, together with the team about what you're trying to achieve, um, and then also know what success looks like for the team. Yeah. So you know, this really is, is, is not just about f- research, because um, he, did, he did research. Um, it's, it's the right kind of research. And the 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 right kind of onboarding for yourself i guess when you when you start on a new team or project yeah but also so group dynamics it's it's interesting it's itself that it was actually within facebook so it wasn't even a new company but it's it so it's just changing who you work with and i can see I, really first off big kudos to to jason for sharing this because i think this is pretty hard to share uh, but I think a lot of people can find that find themselves in these types of situations where you think that you're expected of the others to perform, and your um, well, how you define performance is that I do the work and show it to people, mm. so they will be impressed by the work I do. But we so often tend to forget to ask questions and, and learn before we act. And I think also, uh, mm. like Jason describes here, many times. I think you know we come in. You, oh, there's, a, there's a risk that you come in um, to an existing project or an existing team 
Um, it's not just a kind of startup or, or a newly a new product in, in an organization. And you come in not knowing anything. So you've got fresh eyes, which is a really good thing many times. Like you've got fresh opinions, fresh ideas, you know, new ways of doing things, mm. um, which can give your team a boost. You need an injection of, of, of new thought uh, to keep things healthy. Um, but you, you, can't, you can't overlook and ignore the fact that the team has a history. That's, as you mentioned, in team dynamics mm. and the history of the mm. team, uh, history of the product is an important part yeah. of understanding how, you know, the... the the things that are pain points for that group or the things that are mm. success factors. Um, and then what ways you may be pose a threat to them because what, a, what you produce may create more work for them. Yeah, especially if you haven't really understand you know, yeah. the water that's gone under the bridge. So I think it's, it's really good to, to consider this when you come into new environments. Right? When, what, what questions do I need to ask when I, when I first turn up in a new group? Um, and you know the the, the three questions that um, or the three areas that fundamentals that Jason lists are, are good. You know, how do we get here? That's that's kind of like looking. You know, what milestones have they already kind of um, achieved? Um, what what things are they really proud of? Mm-hmm. Um, what what other things do they want to do, but they haven't really got? They haven't had the chance to to include it. You know, things that haven't really bubbled to the top of the backlog, but mm-hmm. the, the group themselves really kind of burn for. So you get a feeling of 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 what. Um, what drives them? Yeah, and you give them a chance to, to describe the things that they aren't really proud of. They ended up in a way, but they're not really proud of it, and they know it's a problem. Mm. But it's, it's, because, it's like that because of history and because of reasons that you're not aware of because you're new. Uh, and I, I really appreciate it because I've handed over to people just pre- previously before the summer, and, and they, they've been senior, but they realized, I know that you've had to take shortcuts and, and compromise and... Uh, you know, there's politics involved, yeah, and that that's why things ended up the way they are. So I, so they sort of already before I started talking. So yeah, we know that you it's it's a struggle here within this culture to actually deliver exactly what you want. Mm. But describe what you've done so far. Yeah, I think I think that's a that is one of the hard mm. things. I mean, I've I've been in one of my groups at the moment. We've we've just brought in some new people and you know of course I'm I'm on the other side I'm in the t- existing team and I find myself getting into well not defensive mode but it sounds as if I'm being defensive yeah. so much because you know I do have the 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 backstory I I I know that certain things that we did have have design debt um I know certain things were done like in a sprint with not much time, you know, we realized things at the end of the sprint and had to make last minute changes that aren't really maybe as, as good a solution as I would you know, dream of having. Um, mm. But I'm going to have to wait for some kind of refactoring sprint to be able to get the chance to, to correct it. And, and, you know, when you come in with a new set of eyes, you look at some of these things and go, well, why the hell did you do that? And it looks completely wrong. But with context, with a bit of history, you can understand that and you can maybe learn a lot about the dynamics from, from, from asking about this. Something else that popped up, uh, Erica Hall wrote an article the other week um, called Everyday Empathy, um, which I think is, is, very, is very much related to the article that Jason has written. Um, in fact, I think it does a really good job of, of taking a, a step further maybe and applies um, some, some good research techniques um, to, to gain a, a mutual understanding and and uh, with your team and and just get on better because um erica she's you know she's really got her feet in research um mm. whereas jason's got his feet in the designer in the design side of things and she actually um in the article which i'll include in the show notes 
she comes up with uh, or suggests four questions that you might be able to to weave in to your your conversations with people in your team to 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 learn to do research about your team to learn more about them and these four oh, yeah. these four questions are um what does success look like from your perspective which is very much related to jason's um um you know, how do you uh, what does success look like it's almost the same wording yeah. Yeah, um, exactly where do you see the biggest opportunities? Do you have any concerns about this project? And that, that ties into what you mentioned earlier about um, knowing mm. about the things that have been pain points and things that have been difficult. And a fourth question, um, what do you think the biggest challenges are? So it's nice there with concerns and then also with challenges because yeah. sometimes their challenges are con- concerning. But um, mm. they were, I think they were really nice to see See four questions there uh, packaged from a, a, a UX researcher's um, experience and viewpoint, rather than just the designer's viewpoint. So together, I think mm-hmm. they make a good a, a good pack of two articles to to help you get in board. That actually just rem- that reminds me of doing like a retrospective in a, in a design sprint or in a, any sprint uh, development sprint. That those are the types of questions you have mm. to discuss there, and so you, it's not only when you're joining the team; it's also regularly on a real a regular basis. Absolutely, which yeah. is great for the for you know, retrospective with a sprint, um, but you know you've got to have a a bit longer and deeper look back into the past to get a proper understanding of the the dynamics and the feel for the group. Exactly. Yeah. True. The last top heading is look back to look ahead. The history of a product gives you a chance to see the full picture. Um, it stops you from proposing solutions that have been tested before, helps you understand what design constraints there are, and reveals the decisions that led to the current iteration of the product, which I think is a good, a good summary of, 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 the, of the things you need to get your, your, your head around. As a user needs to stop. Uh, this is an article by Janet Taylor on the prototyper.io blog, and you can't help but just feel the pain because in uh, agile work environments, you work with user stories and everybody has come across this problem that you write user stories. You have to write it as, as a user, I want to perform an action so I can achieve an end result. Uh, and as Janet writes, uh, this is great in theory, but writing good user stories is harder than it sounds. So she's seen well-meaning product design and engineering folks take this approach to user stories and interpret them as magic words. Uh, and as it seems as, as long as we begin our task statement by uttering the as-a-user mantra, we're magically taking a user-centered approach. Uh, and of course, this is not true when she gives the example of a really, really bad user story. As a user, I want to click the button so I can submit the form. And I, I'm, I'm personally haven't seen this specific user story, but I've seen several, like, as a user, I want the button to be red, uh, like, really specific details in a user story. And it's just, it's, it. user stories are there to create empathy for the user. Uh, and this does not help. It actually tells you the solution already in the title. Uh, and, and I've, I've been seeing as a developer because p- people oh, yeah. are realizing yeah, that, yeah, oh, this isn't the user doesn't want this. Okay, so I want this as a developer. Well, no, you don't want it as a developer either because you, as a developer, you don't really want to work. You just want to drink Coke, right? So, <laughs> so I've seen all yeah. the flavors, Pat. I've seen, I've seen as, a, as a UX As a product designer, manager. As a, as yeah, a product yeah. manager. I mean, those ones are, are fantastic. It's kind of, well, it becomes just like the, the, the way of getting your to-dos into some kind of, you know, this, into the, 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 uh, the, onto the backlog is just kind of like, as 
me. <laughs> I want to do this. So, so she has she proposes like a sort of well, it's a really short and sweet article. So it, it's more like it lifts the problem. She's telling you so. Don't write these tiny implementation details in the form of user stories. Uh, instead, try to tell a story about using your product. And so, and and what it, the quote I like actually the most from it is: "Step away from the computers for a minute." We tend to focus so much on the interface when we write user stories, but the interface is a means to an end. We need to think about what are they trying to accomplish despite the interface. If there was no interface, what are they trying to do? And the interface is something that can help them perform that task. And I actually wrote – well, I know you brought up the, the – what was it? UX Brutalism? Oh, yeah. There's, there's a website. No, um, UXBrutalism.com. Um, it, it's, a, it's a humor website um, that was um, created um, – I think it was um, – I don't know. What was it? Um, I think it was uxdesign.cc um, behind it, and it's it's a website that says it's it's taking the mic, it's taking it's taking the piece of so many different things. It's a brutalist framework for every step of your design process, and and it's really brutally um, <laughs> it's ridiculous, and and it takes the. It breaks down everything we work with, from wireframes to um, to user flows, um, color palettes, um, and personas, and also um, user stories. And the the brutalist user story is: as a user, I want to visit the website so that I can see it. Different users have different needs. Try to keep your user stories as generic as possible to avoid going into the nitty gritty of complex experiences. <laughs> but they have a point, though. <laughs> mm? Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, the, the keep, point keep, is that, keep them generalist. Actually, well, I think keep them from being prescriptive. Yeah. So if you're prescribing a solution in the user story, you've done it wrong. Yeah. So like you know, oh, um, so I can see it. So I you know, so I can submit the form. So I can if you if you kind of really really pushing the solution in the user story, then you've not done it right. Because that's not your perceived solution isn't what the the user is actually aiming for. Exactly. Uh, and also writing them in the better way means that people can think of, oh, there are several solutions to this problem. What would be the best one? And you can have a dialogue and discussion around that instead of seeing the solution within the user story itself and not being able to think of what you're, what you're actually solving. Uh, so I actually had some fun with this because uh, <laughs> you and I have been talking about we want more people to write reviews on iTunes, and you you tried uh, tried out the workflow and it's really really painful. Mm. Uh, and uh, but a typical user story in that world for now for Apple and iTunes would be as a UX podcast listener, I want to have a single click to iTunes so I can write a review there. We're trying to reduce friction to go to iTunes to write a review. But that's not really what's going on, is it? No. What's really happening is, and I rewrote this. To, now I did this really quickly, so I'm sure there are some faults in this one as well. As well but mm. So as an appreciative listener of UX podcast, just starting out in UX, so that's not as a user. It's actually describing the, yeah. the persona. Yeah, I understand already a little bit more about yeah. who we're yeah, – I've got, I've got a better picture now in my head of who we're talking about. Yeah. I want to easily promote the podcast – uh, so that the longevity of the show can be boosted and I can continue to benefit from it. So that the end result that they're after is I want to keep listening to this podcast because I'm learning stuff. How can I yeah. help ensure that that will happen? Yeah, 
I can probably help boost it or promote it. I'm not even mentioning iTunes. I'm not even sure that maybe that's not the best place. Given what, yeah. given what we know about iTunes and the, the workflow there, maybe that's not the place. So if we think yeah. about that user story, we can start thinking about ways that user could, could, could help promote us in, in many other different ways and not just iTunes reviews. Yeah. I mean, I've not, I, I've not seen or heard that um, revised user story until you've just read it now. Yeah. And I can, if I look at it from a designer perspective, that, yeah, I, I understand now more about the, uh, the, the, oh, the, the, the user. <laughs> um, I've got more, about, more idea of their motivations and, and their the, the genuine um, the, more, more about generally what they're trying to achieve. Yeah. Um, which from the from the first one you wrote as a UX podcast listener, I want to have a single click on iTunes so I can write review there. That doesn't tell me anything at all, really. No, that's a ta- that's a task to be completed, rather than a, a story to be broken down into things into tasks to be created. And I have to say, about seventy eighty percent of user stories I see are written like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's mm. it's it's interesting. It's how it sounds. It sounds easy, and it's it's it almost painted. It's it's presented to us to be easy, mm. but user stories require a little bit of self control. Yeah. Uh, so so this is really a call to everyone out there: get yourself together and 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 do better. <laughs> <laughs> Spend some more time on your user stories, folks. <laughs> Sujan Patel's The Customer Delight Playbook. We have talked about delight plenty of times on the show, and as you, James, pointed out to me, maybe four or five times even. <laughs> uh, are we talking about delight again? And yes, because uh, when I saw this article, there's something that keeps nagging me, and I need to get to the bottom of what that is. It seems that like in UX, we, there so many people think that, yes, creating enjoyable experiences and the wow factor uh, like the climax of an experience is, is what we're doing in UX. We're, that's the goal of our efforts. Uh, and so this article, and I have to say, it's really well written and has some really good points, but it's, it's, it's a landing page, really, uh, on Sujan Patel's own website. He's a, a business owner and consultant. Uh, he calls it a playbook. It's uh, divided into chapters. Uh, he, he makes a case, really, for user-centric design, but he calls it delight. He brings up negative aspects such as like trickiness to navigate, jargon-heavy copy, and lack of information that visitors need. And these are typical usability issues. So many of these are not about creating delight. They're a baseline for doing good work as a consultant. Mm. And if you're not doing these, you're doing bad work. Uh, so th- doing these things does- doesn't mean that you're creating delight the way I see it. And even he himself actually says at a point, on their own, the following strategies, and, and that's when he outlines sort of how you um, uh, counter the jargon having copy and the trickiness to navigate. All these strategies don't are unlikely to result in delight per se, but does that make them any less important? And I'm going to say, no, it makes them more important. It's much, much more important to, to get the baseline right than to even start thinking about delight. That's something you can think about way, way ahead in time. Uh, when you've got everything else in place, I, I, absolutely. I mean, for, you know, for me, uh, well, he starts off saying great service equals delight, but 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 no, exactly like you say, great service is is you know baseline expectation. Customer loyalty comes from from delivering on basic the basic task the com- customer came to you in order to complete. You know, we're, we're lazy human beings. Um, you know, uh, I, we we generally keep on using things. 
Um, you know, we, we, we're loyal because we're lazy. We, we'll we'll lo- keep our loyalty and we'll keep on using things until they break or vanish. Mm. And okay, sometimes maybe we'll try out new things based on a recommendation or, or, or heaven forbid, even an advert. But, but basically, I think we just plough on um, with the same service until something goes badly wrong. Yeah. We even cope with quite, quite um, broken experiences. Um, but as long as you've got enough um, well, loyalty capital stored up from previous visits or uses, um, then, then you'll survive that broken experience. But, you know, so, so delight. Um, yes, it's important, it's good, but you know, to me that's that little bit extra, there's something that potentially earns you a little bit more loyalty capital, so you've got something more to kind of burn if something goes wrong a little bit later. Delight isn't going to get you to switch products. Exactly. And something else I actually thought about a lot in this, and I've seen in other places as well, is that when you give examples of Delight, he gives examples of real-world scenarios. He doesn't give examples from the digital world. He gives examples from restaurants, like a restaurant saying mm. that uh, you may have to wait for 40 minutes, and then the wait is 20 minutes. And this is not even – this is when he talks about you under-promise and uh, over-deliver. So. But all these examples from the real-life world uh, are interesting in itself – because it's in the real world that we make a difference. That's where we create the delight. It's by delivering the product way ahead of time. It's when we write little handwritten notes. It's it's those physical objects that actually are more delightful than anything I've seen online, really. I think absolutely so. We, we've mentioned in previous episodes about how um, how delightful m- uh, Moo.com can be. In the, and always have been since the beginning with their little small um, notes and things. And I think even... Uh, we've seen with the um, there's, a, there's a smoothie manufacturer mm-hmm. here in Europe as well that um, does very delightful small details on packaging, um, but they're, but they're yeah physical generally in in the real physical world rather than I said I said, I said real mm-hmm. physical world the digital world's real too it, it is real but it's it's different it's not face to face it's not human in that sense uh, and there are a couple of things uh, I mean besides the baseline but there are some things that do pertain to light, delight but it's like he's Go above and beyond the call of duty. Certainly, yes, but under promise and over deliver. I'm not sure if that that's actually something that you should always try to do. Uh, it, the way I read it, everything was that when when these companies and the stories he shared, when they do stuff, it's because the stories that create are easily shareable in social media and can go viral. Like Taco Bell sent uh, ingredients for 10,000 tacos to an isolated Alaskan town because the residents there were were hearing that oh, there's a Taco Bell opening, but that turned out to be a hoax. Taco Bell realized, well, we can use that as a promotional thing. So they sent an actual truck by helicopter to this this Alaskan <laughs> town. Uh, and that was really cool. And of course, that's a story and it brings pictures. But that's not creative delight. That's like a marketing gig. Uh, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a fun yeah, marketing yeah. gimmick. Not del- it's not delightful. It's not... Not in the context of of um, of an experience, and also it's real world. It's 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 the physical world again, um, and also there are some things that when you when you try to define lists of this is delight, it's so hard because I think you need to do research. You need to understand your customer. So when he has li- lists like um, offer a loyalty program, I personally hate loyalty programs. No, I'm not kidding. Give away free branded merchandise. What I've been seeing recently is like people actually in goodie bags and conferences actually saying as well. What about sustainability and the environment? Why do we produce all these products? Uh, mm. So it actually creates a negative emotion in, in a lot of people, giving away merchandise. But also this, remember special occasions. 
like sending a birthday card home to people. Oh my God, when McDonald's sends those birthday greetings, it's, it's like, yes, I know you don't care about me because you just used this to find an excuse. You used me as an excuse to send me marketing and to send me advertisements. Uh, so, mm. so there are many ways that these can backfire as well. So I just want to just th things you have to consider when you read lists like this is that it's not always true. And the only way to create delight is to actually create a relationship with the person you want to delight, because otherwise you will have no idea what they actually, what what actually will delight that person. Can mm. can something you expect be delightful? Interesting question. Uh, I'm probably going to say yes, because if you've been disappointed in so many times previously, so you're actually at a really low end of emotional scale. But then you're not expecting it to be good. Oh, that's right, actually. Yeah. So, so then, mm. then delight in that sense would be that this time they they it wasn't as yeah. expected. It was something else. So you had a a good experience, mm. and that could be delightful because you really had given up hope that it would be. You know, like some of the school systems we have to use with our kids, they're terrible. Yeah. If one day you logged in and it actually was really quite good, oh, that one yeah, we could consider that to be delightful. <laughs> so actually, we should just disappoint users. A lot of the time, so that we can delight them some of the time. That, that is what and that is what yeah. he said with under deliver. Yes, well, yeah. oh, under promise. Sorry, under promise of deliver. Sense, yeah. So, so if if you're expecting it to be rubbish yeah. all the time, then it is more delightful mm. the time it's actually good. But I don't think that's a sustainable sustainable business model when you kind of like you're 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 being kind of like mediocre, so that you can generate a little bit of delight the times when you you know when you deliver more mm. than mediocre. But but anyway, I mean, it's a lot of semantics to do with with delight. Exactly. I, think, I mean, yeah, the, I the think... points he he brings up, they're all valid, and they mo mm. many of them work a lot of the time. Uh, but we have to be easy on the use of the word delight because it, cr it creates an expectancy with customers and within the UX community that our work is to create that delight, uh, and it yeah. just isn't. I think you, you've mm. got to remember that that mm. delight is an important part mm. of the work we do, but it's it's something. There's something that's added, yeah. right? Um, the, you've got to get the fundamental thing that your product or website or your company is trying to do. That's got to be right, and you've got to deliver on that promise. If you aren't delivering on that promise, you can't be delightful in other aspects. Exactly. Or it's a waste of time focusing on being delightful. Yeah. And one thing I would la like to lift, actually, as a, as a really good thing to remember from this article is his end point uh, about delighting ex-customers. Because that's something we often tend to forget. Like when people do an exit, they, they cancel their account or something. Uh, you don't really know the reasons for that. And, and giving them a really positive feeling about even exiting or ending the relationship, uh, that means that they can still recommend uh, you to others and perhaps even return later. You never know. Uh, but I would push that as one of the biggest learnings from, from the article, uh, from the way I see it. And that also reminds uh, me that you can go back and listen to uh, Joe McLeod in episode 154. We actually talk about closure experiences uh, as one of the things that, that a lot of businesses uh, tend to forget about. And I know that I've recommended things that have been um, easy to get out of to people mm -hmm. before, um, especially in the context of when there's several competitors that are really hard work to get out of. Exactly. Um, then, then that's I know I've done that several yeah. times. Good stuff. Uh, it's still a good read. It's still there's still still things that are valid uh, uh, to learn from this article, uh, but be wary of how you interpret what is a light and what is actually baseline usability. <laughs>
I know we normally do three articles that we found during our digital travels, um, but I actually wanted to throw in a fourth one quite quickly. Sneaky. Oh, I know. Um, the, the, this summer, back in July, um, now, Dave Gray um, and Explain, they launched an updated version of the Empathy Map Canvas. Now, um, I just wanted to just say that they've done that, really, because the, the Empathy Map Canvas, I know it's a tool that both me and you have, have, have used during the years, and, and I've, I've been, in, um, been in a workshop with Dave where he's, he's gone through the, the Empathy Map Canvas, and, mm. and um, I think it's really interesting and, and good to see how they've, um, you know, what they've updated. And, well, you know, they've not revolutionised it. They've, they've tweaked it um, after a few years of it being around and um, tidied it up. Yeah, um, and written a, 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 he's a written bit. a really good motivation behind the d- different things that have changed and why yeah which is interesting um, just yeah and exactly you know how would what i'd expect from 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 dave um and yeah. um, so bonus article um go there and check out um the, the links in the show notes um check out the updated empathy map canvas and read what um what and why dave and explain have updated in it so um you can find these show notes all the links to the articles from today um, in um, or on uxpodcast.com if you're lucky your podcast client will also have them shown um, for you to click on um, you can follow us anywhere as UX Podcast um, and you can even sign up for our backstage mailing list where we um, give you a little bit of extra content written content and um, offers and discounts when we get them so visit uxpodcast.com and just fill in your email address and uh, as a uh an appreciative listener, you may have an even go to iTunes and, and write a review. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but not from your mobile. It's an evil experience. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. Knock, knock. Who's there? Broccoli. Broccoli who? Broccoli doesn't have a last name, silly.